He was dying. The knowledge was a lead weight around his neck. His red-tinged vision flickered and dimmed. If I go... He never finished. His mouth made the words, but he'd lost the breath to carry them. Elias leaned in. What was that? If... He began again. If I go... His lips were almost touching his brother's ear. He took a breath and willed away the creeping darkness. For a moment, his vision cleared. You're coming with me, the Reaper snarled. Are you tired of Hollywood's warmed-over leftovers? I want to take you on an adventure. It's a gritty, fast-paced, action-packed fantasy, and you can get in without asking your friend what phase of the Marvel Universe we're in. It starts right now. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. Before his tenth name day, the Taddy Prince knew everything. He knew every crack and crenel of his father's house, those long and narrow corridors winding through the keep that would one day be his. He knew the wideways, the paths trod by every foundling who crouched beneath the raven's wing, and he knew the secret ways, known the nuns save Master Dust and Mrs. Shadow. He liked those ways the best. He knew the up above, although not yet so well as he would like. For Da had long ago forbade him venturing into their land of smoke and men and horses. The up above was no place for a foundling, he told him, no place for a prince. The boy's place was at his father's side in the windy keep, to watch and wait to take his place upon the driftwood throne. Let the others creep up into the fringes to pilfer their scraps, risk the glares and hounds and fists of men to find their small treasures. So long as he sat here beside the throne, he was safe. The prince knew other things as well. He knew Da had a strong taste for those brownie clear bottles the men called whiskey. He knew that the king's undying favor was given to any foundling who brought back a bottle, even a small one, of the fiery drink. He knew that on those nights, Da snored like thunder, and nothing short of a kick in the nethers was like to wake him. But when morning came, his temper was stormy. Even so, by his tenth name day, the Taddy Prince knew that if he was back below and on his bedroll before dawn broke, Dan need never know of his adventure in the night. And so, for as long as the moon shone bright and waxy overhead, the up above was his. The clay tiles shifted a little beneath his bare feet. He paid them no mind. It was a long drop down to the slate-colored cobbles, but the princeling moved with a nimble grace known to cats and dancers alike, and to boys who yet thought themselves invincible. Beneath his shirt of silk-thin homespun, worn through in some places and fraying at the edges, his tiny heart hammered in his concave chest. The air around him crackled with energy. He whispered a quiet thanks to the god of men, the one who lived in the great glass house with its brass bells. Tonight, he was alive. In the distance, the cliff rose boldly toward the heavens, fringed at the top with an angry snarl of leafless branches. Below, the sheer stone face was dotted with lanterns, but from here they might have been torch bugs, small and flickery against the gray rock. Below, sprawled across the plateau, endless waves of rooftops crested and fell. And above it all, the huge, hulking shape of Dark House crouched at the edge of the cliff like a dragon counting her hoard. The tiles thrummed underfoot as the crowd beneath them burst into sudden cheers. The princeling dropped to his knee and pressed an ear against the clay. Outside, 
The night was quiet, save for a faint gurgle of Blue River and the screech of an owl on the hunt. Below, it seemed as if a million men were crammed beneath that roof, a riotous blend of pounding fists and stamping feet and hollering, lots of hollering. He slipped the rusty penny knife he'd pinched from Da's trove out of his waistband, slid it into the crack between two tiles, and waggled it back and forth until one of them came loose. Light and sound poured from the narrow opening and broke the stillness. The princeling laid down flat on his belly and wriggled over to the gap between the tiles. He peered down inside. His eyes went wide. There weren't a million men, not by a good stretch, but even so it was more folk than the princeling had ever seen in one place. Every tier down to the floor was absolutely teeming with people, and the boy had to fight hard against his first instinct, which was to leap back from the hole and scamper down into the safety of his warren. A flower of shame blossomed rosy on either cheek, and his hands trembled as he chanced a second look down into the slit. Directly below, far, far down enough that his stomach did somersaults when he eyed it, there was a round patch of bleached white sand, which was certainly strange, for in the up above all the streets were cobbled, and the plateau on which the city sat was hard stone. This sandy patch was lined with ropes and flecked with darkish splotches. The princeling's stomach did another somersault, for even from half a hundred feet up, he knew blood when he saw it. There was a fellow sprawled across the sand, his features shiny pink and body twisted in an awkward angle. And towering over him, a hundred feet tall, the red man stood proud. Every eye was on him. It was hard to make his face out, but he was naked to the waist, and the muscles in his shoulders bulged. His frame was painted with dark lines running down the back. The princeling couldn't tell what they were. The boy was rapt. The way the people stared, like he was a prince, a king, a god. He raised a red-stained fist to the sky, to the boy, and the people screamed. The chatter of the crowd swelled as the doors burst open and the people poured out into the night. The princeling crept to the edge of the roof like a shadow. He could smell the sweat and joy and whiskey that hung about them like a fog. Many of them wore red, a few green, and more than one he saw were wearing only breeches, on their backs a charcoal drawing of a huge pair of furled wings. They were unraveling in a dozen directions, back to all their corners of the up above. Overhead, unknown and unseen, the princeling kept his quiet vigil on the roof. There was blood on Haytham's tongue. He swished the fire whiskey around, savoring the sweet burn of it in all the little gashes in his mouth. His eyes watered. A shiver ran down his spine as he gulped it down. He smacked his lips appreciatively. Another. The others held out their little wooden cups, and Elias poured a liberal dose into each. Amber droplets spattered over the darker constellations on the sand. Elias grinned and held the half-empty bottle aloft. The Reaper. The Reaper, they chorused back. More drops fell as the tumblers and the bottle clinked against each other and were drunk. Haytham felt a squeeze on his hand. Amethyst's emerald eyes were bright with mischief, and she bit her bottom lip in that way which had so long held him under her spell. He squeezed back and winked at her quick from his unbruised eye. Well, friends, the broad-bellied man with the silver goatee was saying, shall we be on to the wayfarer? I've got a sack of winnings that demands lightning. He hefted the purse on his belt, fat with coin. The fighter grinned. 
There were always one or two of these hangers-on, newly minted rich men quick to show their favor to the brawler who just won them a small fortune. The fat man cocked an eyebrow at Haytham. What say you, champion? I've had an eye on a bottle of elderberry wine that spent twelve years gathering dust. Crack her open with me, I insist. If you insist, Haytham considered. He glanced over at Amatha. She rolled her eyes and gave him a look that said, Do what you will, O champion. One drink, he finished. The others all murmured their agreement and started for the door. Actually, Goodman, Elias piped, and Lady, he amended with a nod in her direction, if I could steal him for a moment, we have a bit of business to settle first, won't take a moment. I'll meet you there, the brawler murmured in Amethyst's ear. She smelled of cinnamon and lavender. Save a dance for me. I'll do more than that, she offered. His gaze lingered on the sway of her hips as she followed them out the door. Elias was standing at the place where the ogre fell. His doe-skin shoes were dyed the same shade as the blood splats on the floor. It was quiet for a moment. Then he held the bottle out to Haytham. You won. He took it. I won. Well fought. Another pause, then. Do you know what you're going to tell him? The bottle froze halfway to his lips. I'll think of something. Elias was looking past him. Better think quick, then. The doors at the back of the gallery clicked shut. Haytham spun round. Two men as tall as he was and twice as thick were standing with arms crossed before the entrance. They both wore iron cudgels on their belts. He was suddenly extremely aware that save for him and Elias and these newcomers, the gallery was very, very empty. Between them, another man approached the rope perimeter of the ring. His limbs were long and spindly like a spider's. His cheeks were pinched, and an impressive coal-black mustachio graced his upper lip. He bobbed his head in greeting to the two men at the center of the pit. Elias, hey them, he intoned. He scanned the fighter up and down. I like the robe. Haytham fought the urge to straighten the rumpled red garment. On the back, a pair of raven's wings were stitched into the silk, between them a grinning black skull. You bought it, he rumbled. I'll keep this brief. He reached into the folds of his cloak and tossed him a smallish velvet sack. Your winnings. The coins shifted in his grip as Haytham caught it. And your debt. The brawler glanced down at the sack, then threw it back. The other man made no move to catch it. It landed with a splat and a puddle of congealing blood. Haytham nodded to the gold. Keep that. Three more fights and we're square. The spider grimaced. No, no, no. See, that's not how this works. No more fight. I gave you an order. I'm not a soldier. No, but you are a tool. One that I forged. And if the tool won't submit to the builder, what use is it? The brawler stepped forward, his gray eyes dangerous, a handbreadth of air between him and the spider. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw one of the brutes reach for his cudgel. You want me to fall? He growled. Send someone who can drop me. Elias shifted uneasily. Haytham, maybe we should shut up, Elias. The older man scowled. I never knew you for a fool. His breath was hot and thick, and the burning flower smell of sweet milk hung close about him. Do not forget what you are. 
I made you, you mongrel. For what might have been an hour, Haytham glared into those red-rimmed eyes. The spider met his gaze and did not blink. The brawler turned and spat. I'll have your gold by gloaming. Elias opened his mouth to speak. Haytham shot him a warning look. After that, he continued, looking down his broken nose at the other man. You and me, we're done. You're in no position to be dictating terms, came the spider's soft reply. His head was bowed, his eyes slightly downcast as though he feared to meet Haytham's eye. You can't fathom the amount of coin that was wagered on you, on your promises. I never said, I the gray man held up a long-fingered hand for silence. Even if I could let you walk out of here, you'd catch a knife in your spleen before you made it home to Miss Amatha. He sighed. The brethren are calling for blood. Yours or mine? His brutes unslung their weapons. Blood, Haytham sneered. He retreated to the center of the pit between Elias and the others. He hunkered down into that familiar ready stance, light on his feet but as solid as stone, like quicksilver. He looked past the approaching brutes at the spider. And after I drop them, what? Will you come take it yourself? The blade slipped cold between his ribs like a shard of ice. His eyes went wide, and all the color left his face. He felt the vague warmth of a body behind him, then Elias's voice in his ear. Not him, brother. He tottered on his feet like a man in his cups. He reached for the black leather handle that was sheathed in his side. It was like moving his hands through a bog. Before, the gallery had been bright with torches and warm with bodies. The air was now cold and murky. He took one more step toward Elias, reached a shaking hand for him, and crashed down like a felled tree. The void was swirling all around him, faces surfaced in the inky dark. Amatha, his mom forever frozen in the way he knew her. Elias, the spider, all the men he'd beaten, the ones whose names he remembered, and the ones he didn't. They hovered for a moment on the black canvas of his mind and were lost. He could hear voices, small and far away. I'm sorry, Haytham, Elias, the spider. Shame, all those years. A sniff, then take him out back. I don't want him bleeding on my floor. The keepers will see to him, or the rats. He felt someone hoist him up by the armpits and another by his ankles. White-hot pain lanced through his side. He let out a long groan. A trickle of blood dribbled down his chin. There was the sound of doors being thrown open, and the red insides of his eyelids went dark. The night breeze knifed through him, and he shuddered in his captor's grip. In the distance, he heard a sigh. Name survive, Reaper, the spider murmured. Then the doors swung shut. Oblivion was coming in close, then receding, a black tide on the stony shore. A band of stars danced and faded in that narrow strip of sky between the buildings. The fighters' eyes rolled wildly in their sockets. Death was standing at the periphery, silent waiting and watchful. His skull cracked against the cobbles when they dropped him, and the stars above him flickered red. He felt the shocking coldness of the water on his back, that acrid runnel of piss and refuse that wound its way toward the outer limits of the city. He could feel the fat, warty fingers of infection crawling toward the gash in his side, but what did it matter? He'd be gone long before the fever came. 
Three bits five, one of the brutes grunted a hundred leagues away. The other one swore. Some bloody ogre he was. Reaper damn near flattened him. Luck fighting the gray cloak armed with a broom and a bucket. Someone nudged him at the crook in his knee and his foot splashed into the runnel. A long exhale. <sighs> so much for all that. Come on, let's get to the dry mouse before she fills up. You're buying. A brief patter of footsteps, then silence. And the silence came death. He was nightmare-made flesh, eight feet tall and unknowable. The steel plates of his suit gleamed silver in the moonlight, his face inscrutable beneath that proud helm. The tip of his greatsword dragged along the ground and left a long, white scratch in his wake. He brought a hand up to lift his visor, and beneath it there was only roiling chaos, darkness without end. He gazed down at the broken shape of Haytham, small and fractured on the ground. He raised his sword. His mouth tore open to reveal rows and rows of wicked razor teeth. His breath was a blight, and when he spoke, Haytham, Haytham, I'm so sorry. Elias. His dark hair had broken free from its knot and hung in lank strands in front of his face. He knelt beside the brawler, his face stricken with worry, and reached for the knife in Haytham's side. He paused, his hands quivering there a few inches from his betrayal. I, I, I had to, he pleaded. Y you understand, they told me. Get away from me. His voice was no more than a rasp, his breathing thick and labored, his glassy eyes refocused on the silhouette of his brother. Traitor. Get away from me, he repeated. Elias managed a pained smile. You'll be okay. He assured him, it's just a scratch. I'll, I'll get someone. They, they can help you, you... I will kill you. Don't say that. He felt Elias's cold fingers close around his own, squeezing them like a lifeline. Y you know I had to. I if I didn't, they'd have killed us both. You understand that, don't you? Listen, I can get you help. I can... Haytham didn't hear him. His eyes were behind him on the black night with his blade of ice and moonlight, the infinite dark below his visor seeming to draw the very light in the alley into itself. He could feel himself ebbing, and with the desperate strength of a man lost at sea, he squeezed the hand that held him momentarily tethered and broke two of his fingers. Elias yelped and ripped his hand free from the brawler's grip. Black satisfaction surged in Haytham's heart as the traitor's feet splashed backward through the runnel. After a long moment, he heard a strained, breathless sigh. Suppose I earned that? Elias spat through his teeth. A single thought beat a furious tattoo in his mind, one he breathed with impossible certainty. I will kill you. This time. He was met with silence. Then, softly, Will you? There was a strange, flat quality to the bastard's voice. He jabbed the butt of the knife with the toe of his boot, and the brawler hissed. His vision clouded over red. He heard the gravel crunch as Elias hunkered down next to him. I think your chance at that may have gone without you, he whispered. He was dying. The knowledge was a lead weight around his neck. His red-tinged vision flickered and dimmed. If I go, he never finished. His mouth made the words, but he'd lost the breath to carry them. Elias leaned in. 
What was that? If, he began again, if I go. His lips were almost touching his brother's ear. He took a breath and willed away the creeping darkness. For a moment, his vision cleared. You're coming with me, the reaper snarled. His arm wrapped around the traitor's neck like a vice, and he heaved him down into the muck. He'd always been bigger, even when they were boys, and now he used that extra heft to pin Elias to the cobbles. He seized the knot of his brother's hair and forced his head down below the surface. Elias screamed, bubbles roiling in the foul water around his face. Again, that black satisfaction surged in the brawler's chest. Elias thrashed beneath him like a wild horse. His face broke the surface, and he took in a brief lungful of air and water before Haytham slammed him back down. His own face was flecked with water and set with hate. Blood was pouring down faster from the wound in his side, but for now he couldn't feel it. His world had narrowed to himself and the turncloak in his hands, and by Cirrus they'd stride into hell together. Elias gave another muffled scream. More bubbles. His limbs were flailing, and his body shuddered. The brawler could hear him flagging, knew it with an instinct born of all the long years in the pits. He mashed his face harder against the runnel's slimy bottom. He felt the traitor's nose crunch against the stone and waited for the bubbles to stop. But fate betrayed him. Elias bucked again, and one of his thrashing limbs found the knife in Haytham's side. His desperate fingers closed around the hilt. He gave it a savage twist, and Haytham was swallowed by wave after wave of screaming hellfire. When black agony at last subsided and his vision returned, Elias was standing over him, still panting. His face was dripping muck and blood. He reached down with his good hand and plucked something from the inside pocket of Haytham's robe. The brawler tried to stop him. He found his limbs would no longer obey. Elias straightened up and twirled the thing between his fingers. It was the rose. Full-bodied and perfect, with petals the color of sun-bleached bone. Haytham's fading mind fluttered to when the ringmaster raised his fist into the air, his own wrapped tight around the ivory blossom. On this night, and all the nights before, and no more nights to come, he realized. The reaper had stood over all. The stem had snapped, and it dangled by a few fibers as Elias turned it over in his hands. He was looking at it curiously, perfect petals, a crimson smear on the satin white. I guess that makes this mine now he said. His eyes met Haytham's, though the fighter could no longer see him. Goodbye, brother. Pray death takes you quickly. An indistinct chatter at the end of the alleyway. Elias looked up, and a dark wave washed over Haytham's face. He sank into the black sea of oblivion and did not surface. The princeling's feet slapped a desperate drumbeat against the clay rooftops. He ran on heedless. In the morning, Daz's justice would be swift and terrible, but right now, that was the furthest it could have been from his mind. His eyes streamed tears. Every time he closed them, he saw the red man, broken, bleeding on the ground. A shingle came loose under his foot and went skittering over the side. He almost followed suit, but his hands were quick and he stopped short. His fingers curled around the rain gutter. His breath came quick and shallow, the stitch in his side a dull knife between his ribs. He swallowed once and chanced to close his eyes again. His sick splattered over the clay shards some thirty feet down. But he felt better. A little. At least it didn't feel like damnation was coming after him, snapping at his heels. Even so, he took one last peek over his shoulder 
just to be safe. The moon was still high and waxy, plenty of time to make it back and onto his bedroll before the king. Maybe not for one of the other foundlings, but he knew all the Warren's secret ways, didn't he? Those ways of dust and shadow, where no men, not spindle-legged ones, nor fair-faced ones with secret knives, nor even red men, dared tread. Before his tenth name day, the Taddy Prince knew everything. But it was not until that night he was ten, in the quiet hours before the dawn, that he knew what it was like to watch a man die. Thank you guys so much for watching this first episode. I am incredibly excited to be able to share the rest of this story with you. It is almost a decade in the making. So please hit the notification bell and the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the story, then please share it with a friend. I'll catch you guys next week.